Faith Sites Podcast. My name is Tyler Bubbles, and welcome back to the fourth Sunday in Lent for the week of March 27th, 2022, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and I'm excited because there's a lot going on. There's a lot of change. I know where I'm at in the world that we're noticing the beginnings of spring as snow is starting to melt, but I think it's also kind of fitting with where we are in the church year to be in this point where we are recognizing and acknowledging that things are changing. When we look, and especially in the next few coming weeks, but we're even noticing it here in Jesus's ministry, we're getting tough lessons. We're getting things, and he keeps hinting at that there is something more coming. And as we know, if you've gone through this before, it's not necessarily where we want Jesus to be. It's not to the place where we want Jesus to be. And it's pushing us and challenging us to be in that spot, whether we're ready for it or not. And that's one of the difficult things with Lent. It's that place of reflecting on where is Jesus pushing us and challenging us to force us to move forward, force us to be become more of the person that God is creating us to be, whether we're ready to or not. And the ways that it means giving up things, it means changing attitudes, it means changing ways we do things in order that we might better become who God has created us to be and to be in better relationship with other people. And that's part of what makes Lent difficult. It's part of what makes all of this so difficult is it's that we never are fully at the point that we want to be because we're striving to be for perfection, which is something that we will never reach. And that's, I think, part of what makes it so difficult, but yet so essential that we do in a lot of ways. So the question that I had for you last week is, are you willing to let people in? Because part of this wrestling and dealing with and struggling with and is acknowledging that you're dealing with stuff and then letting other people into that mess, letting others into knowing that you're not perfect, that you are wrestling with stuff. And especially with last week, how Let's take the crap from others. Let's take the manure and see if that can help stimulate growth. And I got lots of responses back where people having experiences, where having trouble dealing with people because of broken trust, having where acknowledging things that has happened in their life and what how difficult it was to acknowledge that we made mistakes and what does that mean for us moving forward? And it's beautiful to know that we aren't meant to go through this alone, that we are meant to be working in community to get through these difficult things that we go through, that this is not supposed to be something that we take and just do ourselves. It's that community part of faith that we so desperately need. And that even a plant would need some type of fertilizer, in this case, the text that we had last week, manure, the waste of something else to be able to help something new grow. And I think that's one of the things that we as humans wrestle with and struggle with. And how do we deal with this to be able to get through these difficult times? And I think it flows really well, especially into the first reading for this week, which is out of Joshua chapter 5, verses 9 to 12. This text, I feel that you need to know a little bit of the backstory. 
We have been wandering for 40 years. Moses has died. Moses has seen the promised land, but has passed away. Joshua now has sent spies into the promised land, sent people in, and these are the group of Israelites starting to take the land that was promised. That this is a text where it's showing that they're still honoring the Passover, which is tying them back to Egypt, that they've been doing this, and that they're still eating those leaven cakes. But then this is also the moment when they start eating of the land of milk and honey that has been promised to them. And that is when the manna then quit coming, that the Lord then said, I have promised you this. I promised I would provide till you got here. And now this promise has been fulfilled. This moment of transition of where God's saying, I promised you this. I promised that you were going to be provided for. I promised that you were going to get here. We have gotten here after a long time, after this being promised for generations, that now they are here to this point. The psalm this week is Psalm 32. And this is where it's the acknowledgement of how we are supposed to be acknowledging our sin. We are acknowledging the guilt and things that we are dealing with and how we need to acknowledge this. We need to lay this down. We need to give this to God in order for us to be able to be made new, that we need to be able to confess it so that we are able to rejoice. That this is the steadfast love that we lean into, the trust that we have in God, that because of what we know, what will come here in the New Testament, but what Christ does for us, that because of that, that our sins are forgiven. But it also that acknowledgement so that we can better walk with each other as we are going through difficult times. The New Testament text this week or the second reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 21. This, I think, is a really fun little text here from the Apostle Paul talking about how the people that he's writing to in Corinth, there's still many of them who either knew of Jesus or have heard the stories because you got to remember this isn't that long after the death of Christ. And there's so many of Paul's writings that are acknowledging the people who still knew Christ or saw the resurrection and things of that nature. And here it is acknowledging that Things have changed, that we knew Christ through a human point of view, and Christ is now a new creation, and he's not human. He's ascended into the glory of God. And in doing that, we then are the ambassadors. We are the human part of Christ, that we are entitled to then be sharing that with others, and that through that, it's a transformational process that we should be going through and that also acknowledging what Christ did then for us was to be able to wash away this sin, but also for us to be able to see what an example of what, how this is supposed to be walked out. The gospel text this week is out of Luke chapter 15 verses 1 to 3 and 11b to 32. This is a very familiar text. This is a text that we have heard and it's probably most known for as the prodigal son. But we have Jesus with the tax collectors and they're making comments and grumbling about that he's welcoming sinners and that he eats with them. And so then we get 
three stories, three parables here. We get the lost sheep, which isn't in the text, the lost coin, which isn't in the text. And then what's in the text this week is the familiar story where a father has two sons. One decides to take his inheritance early and goes off to a foreign land. And as the text says, squandered it and then has a famine, a severe famine comes over the land. He then is barely getting by. He's feeding pigs and basically eating what they are and realizes that his father would never have that happen, that at least even the slaves there were treated better than this. So I'm going to go back and ask for forgiveness and look to my father and say, don't look at me as your son. Look at me as your hired hand. When the son is still a ways off, the father realizes this goes and tells him to get the his one of his robes and put a ring on his finger, which would have been like the seal of the family, and kissed him, and they have this party. And they killed the fatted calf to celebrate. Now, the older son is still in the field and is approached, and why aren't you at this party? And he is pretty upset with his father on, you know, why are we doing this? I've never even done this with my friends Why are we acknowledging this brother of mine that has gone off and just wasted all this cash, wasted all of this? And it kind of continues, and it's something that's repeated multiple times of celebrating what was lost is now found. And it kind of reiterates this in the last two verses here, starting in verse 31. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This idea of this look at what has been refound, this person coming back into the fold. And that is where the text leaves us on this cliffhanger of a moment within the text. But before we jump into how faith and science come together, we have to do our shameless plug. But Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. Between their Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, their discussions, for over 10 years they've been doing the Working Preacher podcast. So they've gone through the lectionary cycle multiple times, so there's multiple podcasts there. I really enjoy having the four different seminary professors there, since I'm not an ordained minister, to be able to help guide me as we're going into these texts. There's multiple different commentaries on these different texts, along with great discussions over this. So if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. The other thing I'd highly recommend is checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. I really enjoy it because not only do I feel that they lay out the text really, really well, but they also have a lot of different tie-ins and different things that tie in. And one of the ones that I like using is the art. Being able to see throughout the world how different people have interpreted these texts throughout time, it's really helpful to be able to see it through some different eyes, to be able to see it and look at it in a little bit different way. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend it. This week, there are a few things that I really want to discuss And the trend that I noticed when going through these texts is the idea of being found means that you have to be acknowledged in the first place. You have to acknowledge that something's there, disappear, and then come back. In order for something to be lost, it has to be first acknowledged and found to be able to be lost and found again. 
And so I was always thinking about this through more of a science lens as we do in this podcast. There was one that kind of came to me, and I felt that this really spoke very well in a lot of these texts and especially into a little bit of the hesitancy that sometimes we have when things are found. And that that I want to talk about this week is electric vehicles. So at the turn of the 20th century in 1900, there were 4,192 vehicles in the United States. What I found absolutely fascinating is 40% of these vehicles were steam, 37.5% of them were electric, and 22.5% were gasoline. You see, the gasoline engine at this point was not nearly the machine that it is today. Sure, they had more horsepower even back then, but they weren't as convenient. You had to crank start them. There were no electric starters. That didn't come around until the early 1900s, around 1904. 1904 to 1912, somewhere in there is when the electric starter came in. But they were noisy. They were rough, just a rougher ride. They smelled bad. They put off emissions. Steam, the big thing was, yes, it worked, and it worked well, but it took a half an hour for the water to warm up. These electric carriages, which go back into the mid-1800s that were even being clowned around with and played around with, but it was really the late 1800s into the early 1900s that is when they really started getting their legs. In fact, in 1908, Philadelphia had this great race where they took a gasoline car and an electric car, had them run the same route through Philadelphia, and the electric car beat the gasoline car by 10 minutes as it dealt with traffic lights, pedestrians, and horse-drawn carriages weaving in and out. And the biggest difference was just the startup was so much faster. There wasn't having to go out and do the hand cranking on the engine. So what changed? Well, the issue was, is as we were slowly electrifying the United States, it became difficult because the infrastructure wasn't there. And then At the same time, the biggest downside that electric vehicles had was they weren't able to do long trips. And so as they were expanding these energy grid, they weren't necessarily expanding it fast enough for these vehicles to continue going. In the meantime, you had the electric starter, like we mentioned, with gasoline cars, which made it easier for them to be able to start so you weren't having to do hand cranking. There was the discovery of gas, which then helped drive down gasoline prices. And all then during this, you had mufflers being made to be able to quiet the engine. You had rubber mounts being used to be able to help reduce the vibration. And, of course, the elephant in the room that we all know is coming in 1908 when Henry Ford rolled out the Model T. And it became the most popular vehicle ever and made it difficult. As this kind of evolved, advertising even kind of made its influence into the car market that electric cars were marketed to women as something easy and very convenient for them. The simple mindedness, I put in quotes, that we were perceiving women to be at that point where gasoline cars were shown as rugged and dirty and messy and in a society that was dominated by white males the gasoline car won now granted they have more horsepower and more 
being able to go over further distances and the battery technology at that point, which Edison had even experimented with in the early 1900s. They, they hadn't figured out how to make a better battery. So there was just a lot of strikes against it. So for decades, it kind of sat on the wayside. In the 1970s, we saw the gas crisis, which kind of influenced getting back into the research of looking into these along with smog research that happened in the 1980s in bigger cities and realizing how much of that came from vehicles kind of reignited the passion of looking at an alternative transportation device not using fossil fuels. During this same period of time, you had portable electronics being able to be powered by battery devices. For those of you old enough might remember the Walkman and how some of these different electronic devices then started to penetrate into our society. And suddenly we came up with the nickel metal hydride battery, which then led into the lithium ion battery. And that made major transformation in the late 80s and into the early 19. 90s. We then started having even admissions being passed by specifically here in the states, the state of California, which led to the EV1 being created by GM, which at that point had 70 to 100 miles of range, could get up to 80 miles an hour on the freeway. And while that was all happening and they were leasing out these vehicles, which was very similar to what the former program was, which I'll get into in a moment. The GM was purposely trying to undermine it and figured out ways to pull strings in the politics of things to get bills rewritten to take out electric vehicles and took all these EV1s and crushed them. What's really interesting to me, too, is how much as you listen to one of the things that gets talked about as the future coming is robo-taxis and how we can get eventually vehicles with self-driving technology to be able to then become self-driving taxis and make it so that you cars aren't sitting around, they're being used. And this isn't that much different than the electric vehicle company of the early 1900s, which was the biggest electric vehicle company at the time. At that point, what you would do is you would rent out a vehicle for a day or for multiple days. And when you come back to charge it up, they would also service the vehicle. So it was this renting model that was really big. And as we talked about with Ford and the electric starter and the electric infrastructure not being there, along with a discovery piece questioning if there was fraud on how the electric vehicle company got a loan to begin with to be able to get the company going, was also one of the big nails in the coffin for electric vehicles at the turn of the last century of the 20th century. As we look at where we are right now, and we look at the advances that electric car companies have made, and even now the traditional automakers getting into electric vehicles and the changes that are happening so rapidly within that field, we still hear plenty of scoffers. We still hear the things on where we're going to have to change and adapt to things and how that's different. And is it really better? 
as me as an environmentalist, I would argue, yes, there's things we have to take into consideration. Yes, we're going to have to look at like lithium mining and how do we potentially figure out ways to make more efficient batteries in general, but battery technology is getting better. I look at how it potentially also pushes us to potentially look at our electrical grid in general and do we make a more robust electrical grid for all of us to make a better planet for all of us. When I look at the elder son in the prodigal son story, in the gospel text, one of the things that really stands out to me is the father recognizing the change in the younger son. This father recognizing the change of at least the son being able to come and acknowledge the mistakes that the son has made and acknowledge that there's things that need to change. And granted, the father cuts him off, but we see that in the parable on how, where the son's thoughts are. The elder son likes the way that things have been. Heck, he might even be upset that one, they don't call him in from the field, which I do find is an interesting detail. But I also noticed that the elder son is probably upset because that calf is on his half of the inheritance, if you want to put it that way. But the father then recognizes there is more than just the financial here. There's more than just what has happened. Can you not see the transformation that has happened? Is there things that are going to have to adapt? We don't even know what the next day looks like in this parable. But yes, there's going to be things that we have to adapt to. But can't that also be better? We see that in the Joshua text where they finally make it to the promised land. And so God then says, yeah, I'm going to quit giving the manna because this is the place that flows with milk and honey, the land that I've promised that there would be food. That's a major change. When Christ ascended, Paul reminding us of the acknowledgement of the change that had happened. But Paul really bringing it home that this change is for the better. This change is for our betterment to make us into better followers of Christ, for us to acknowledge and be able to have had an example and realizing that Christ is not the same way anymore, but now we get to be that embodiment out in the world. That's pretty incredible. The psalm acknowledging that we have to be able to acknowledge the sins. We have to be able to acknowledge our sins. And when acknowledging our sins, that there's a transformation that does happen, not only with God, but hopefully within the community that we're around, that we should, like verse 9 says, do not be like a horse or mule without understanding whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle, else it will not stay near you. AKA, don't be stubborn. Acknowledge that things are changing and be okay with that change, even if it's difficult. The change in changing our electrical infrastructure to a more potentially sustainable one, at least it isn't putting out emissions out of our tailpipe, but it also acknowledges, and one of the, the videos that I'll have in the show notes, acknowledges that it's not even just the aspect of us switching from gasoline to electric. It's acknowledging that we probably have a bigger thing that we also need to adjust is do we all need multiple vehicles or can we figure out ways to be able to get into a more public transportation model along with having electric vehicles or reducing the number of vehicles in general that are on the roads to be able to reduce the demand to make it easier on the planet in general. These are a lot of changes. The electric car is one step in that direction. Are we willing to change? 
Because if we look, it happened once before. If you look at the early 1900s, it looked like electric was in a position and it was doing really well in major metropolitan cities because they had the electrical infrastructure. As it got outside of that, it became more difficult. Most of where, at least here in the United States where I am located, most of those places would be fine. There would still be some adaptations that we definitely need to do to figure out how to better make an electrical infrastructure to be able to cover. But it also pushes us and maybe some of those difficult spots to look to some alternative energy sources that maybe make it easier than what our electrical grid looks like now. See, the thing is with change is it's not just one thing. It usually means that the trickle-down effect of changing that one thing changes a lot of things, and that's where we get scared. We have to acknowledge the things that we maybe don't want to acknowledge. We have to confront the things that we don't want to confront, the things that we hold close, the things that we hold as a fail-safe, whether it's helpful or harmful. We all have to work to change. And that's where I feel like that 2 Corinthians text is so important because it's acknowledging that Christ is not just human anymore. Christ has transcended and moved beyond that, which then forces us to continue to move toward what Christ was, acknowledging that Christ is different than what we can understand in this time and in this place. Christ went and led an example so that we can have an understanding of what we should strive to be like, but understand that God is so much more than just that. We like clinging on to what we know. We like labeling and acknowledging and not recognizing change. We like holding on to things. One of the questions that I do have is when looking at like the gospel text, is the elder brother, is there jealousy there? I'm, did I do the right thing? And the father trying to kind of like state at the end that, yes, you did the right thing, but it doesn't mean that we can't still celebrate when someone rediscovers the right path. It's difficult. Being human is difficult. I think we can all acknowledge that. Making change is difficult. Seeing change is difficult. Look at a child. Look at a child and how when they have to change schools or change grades or get a new teacher or things, sometimes they're excited, yes. But there's other changes that are just plain difficult and they don't want to let go of. And in a lot of ways, we're the same way. There's a Chris Rice song back in the eighth grade that there's a line that I like reflecting on is, why does the past always seem safer? Maybe because at least we know we made it. I think that sums it up really well. We want to know with certainty as we live in a world of uncertainty. We want to be able to label with certainty in a world that isn't meant to be labeled with certainty because we're not the ones making the labels. The elder son doesn't realize in that moment that it's probably somewhat what the elder son did in certain ways that probably helped the younger son acknowledge that I need to go back. So in the question this week, where do you need to change? That's your question. Where do you need to change? Do you need to change how you look at the energy grid? Do you need to change something personally within your life? Do you need to change and start acknowledging the gifts that are around you? It's a great Lenten question. Where do you need to change? Because we're not finished products and we will never be in this life because time just keeps on ticking and so the things just keep on changing. And we gotta be okay with that, no matter how difficult it is. My goal is that I'm hoping to recognize and start 
figuring out ways to be the younger son and not running away as much. Try to be the forgiving father more often. Try to make it sure so I don't put the, my father through that pain and be that part of the elder son of not running away and not having the pain, but also in that, not getting that heart that's so hard. I want the heart of the father, the dedication of the elder son, and the acknowledgement of when I've made a mistake of the younger son. Because we all wrestle in this life. And we all sometimes have to realize to go forward means change. We can't go backwards into the future. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.